Today's scripture is Psalm 4, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. How do you get through a crisis? How do you get through a crisis involving conflict? How do you get through a crisis involving conflict concerning you when you're at the center of it or you're deeply involved? You know, uh, stuff keeps us awake at night. Our anxieties eat away at our precious sleep and that affects our health. In many ways, short-term, long-term. The more responsibilities you accumulate in life, uh, the more critics and adversaries you may accrue. The more people you love, and the more passionately and deeply you love, the more potential disappointment and heartache and loss uh, you fear. The Bible gives us counsel, once again, through David's story, through sleepless nights that he had regarding how we can respond to crisis, especially when we're anxious, worried, scared, even when we're angry. And I hope you're going to see this today from Psalm 4, that the best sleep and the most enduring peace is had by those who trust God in their anger. Now, David... As you read through this prayer of his, this composed, melodic prayer, you see that David displayed an outward awareness. He was outwardly aware of God and of other people. He begins by acknowledging God in the situation. He says in verse 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now, here is the situation. And, and you can get a hint at the situation by reading uh, verse 2. He says, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, the English doesn't pick up on a subtlety in the original Hebrew when he says, O oh men. These are men of rank. These are not just people in general. These are landowners. These are leaders, these are aristocrats, influential men in society, uh, not just common people. So on the one hand, uh, influential men are divisively attacking David's character. On the other hand, the people of the land, 
we can assume he's a king here, the people of the land are questioning the state of affairs. Uh, you have influential people criticizing him and attacking his character. And then so naturally, common people are going, hey, maybe there really is a problem. What's going on with David? He's in a political pickle. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't respond typically the way you would think a politician would respond. He doesn't get out of it uh, through, uh, through crafty deception. And he doesn't get out of it with brute force. And politically bullying or using might to get out of this. What we see in this psalm is that the first thing he does is he trusts God. He reaches out to God and he reminds his enemies in verse 3. He says, hey, don't forget the Lord is with his people. I'm the king. I'm still the king. And he says in verse 3, the Lord hears when I call to him. Now, I think it's because David was aware of God's presence in his crisis that he was able to engage other people in a constructive way. And you can see it in uh, verses four and five. Uh, The first thing he does is he turns to his enemies. I don't know that he's actually singing and praying to his enemies, but he in his prayer, he is thinking about his enemies. And this is his posture. This is his attitude. Aware of God in the situation, this is his attitude towards his enemies. He says in verses 4 and 5 to them, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now when he says be angry there, the word meant to tremble. It meant to quake. It meant to get agitated. He's just saying to them, go ahead. What, whatever you see, whatever you're unhappy with, whatever you're frustrated about, go ahead, get angry. Maybe you should be trembling over God, and you're not. But go ahead, get angry. Now, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing. Have you ever noticed that? Anger, anger is not necessarily wrong or unproductive or sinful. I think, I think of anger as a smoke single. It's like a fire alarm going off in your mind. In your soul, when you get angry, now there's a sign telling you that something is wrong. Your anger is an indication that something is very wrong. And maybe it's a good thing. We are angry because we do care about what's going on. Because we are responsible. Maybe we get angry because we really do love. Because we are concerned about injustice. Or inequality or unfairness because we are heartbroken over what we see, uh, what we see taking place. Maybe our thoughts are justified and, and anger is, is a response to that. It's what you do with your anger. That's the rub. That's the issue. And so David's saying, go ahead, get angry, no problem, but don't sin as a result of that anger. He goes on to say, ponder in your own hearts. One scholar says, all that means is... Think to yourself. Aha. Uh-huh. What have we been talking about in Psalms 1 and 2? Meditation. Meditation is talking to yourself about God. The truth he reveals from his word, his Holy Spirit. Talking to yourself about the truth of God, about what you've read, about what you've heard. And letting it sink deeply into your life so that it transforms how you think, what your priorities are, and how you live. That's meditation. And he's saying here... Think 
to yourself in these moments and offer right sacrifices and trust in God. He's encouraging his enemies, giving them great advice. He's telling them, you want to go ahead and be angry? Fine. But don't do anything right now. Just stop. Be quiet. Repent. Turn around. Turn to God. Think about what's going on right now. He does another thing. He not only addresses his enemies, he addresses his people, the people that God's called him to lead. The common folks who are saying um, in, this, in this psalm, who can show us any good? Right? Now, the quotations in the English Standard Version indicate that they go on to say, uh, the people go on to say, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. A lot of scholars say the quotations should look a little different. Um, it seems that the people are saying, oh, what's going on? Who can show us any good in the situation? And David, in response, is praying these words. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In verse 6. That's very reminiscent of Aaron's blessing. In number six, when God commanded the priests of Israel to bless the people by saying, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You may have heard that passage. Well, David is invoking that spirit. So he's encouraging his enemies to repent and not to be reactive in their anger. And he's encouraging his people. He's actually encouraging his people by asking God to bless them. So despite his doubt and despite his distress, David leads anyway. And he intercedes for his people. And he offers good counsel, whether they want to hear it or not, to his enemies. Now, how is David able to respond that way? I mean, when you're angry, when you're stressed out, that, that's an uncommon response. It's difficult to respond like that when you're really angry, isn't it? Especially when you're at the center of the criticism and the crisis. How does he do it? I think David, he didn't always accomplish this. He didn't always act this way as a leader, but he does here. In this psalm, he does it right. Why? I think it's because he was taking his own advice. What he advised his enemies to do, he was doing himself. David not only displayed an outward awareness of God and of the people around him, but David displayed an inward awareness of himself. In the situation. If you're going to control your anger. You must let God speak into it. We know. That David was doing this. Psalm 63 is also attributed to David. And scholars believe he wrote Psalm 63. Similar to Psalm 3. In response to the crisis with his son Absalom. Who rebelled against him. And in Psalm 63, David said this. I, he's speaking to God. I remember you upon my bed. In the watches of the night. I meditate on you in the watches of the night. There's meditation again. There's meditation when you're up in the middle of the night. And the events of your life are making it hard for you to sleep. And your mind starts racing. And you start plotting and you start planning and you start rehearsing arguments and conversations that haven't happened yet and re-rehearsing and, and uh, re-rehearsing conversations that already happened. And you wish you had said something different, wish you had done something different and you can't sleep. When in those moments, David began to meditate, remember God and meditate on his perspective. 
When you can't sleep, let God enter into that space so that he will begin to guide your thoughts. Now, in order to control your anger, there's, there's, there's something you really need. It's, it's, this crucial, it's this crucial act of faith that I found is, is necessary to control anger. And it's just two words, really simple. You don't even have to write it down. Shut up. Just shut up, David says to his enemies. Stop reacting. Stop brooding. Stop plotting what you're going to say next. What you're going to do if you're in that person's presence again. When you show up at work on Monday morning, what's going to come out of your mouth when you see that person again? (laughs) When you show up at church again next week, what you're going to say to that person? When you come home from work, what you're going to say to that person? Just stop it all and in faith Be silent. One scholar paraphrased David's advice to his enemies with these words. You can tremble with anger and rage, but don't sin by doing anything. You can speak your evil words within your hearts, but don't speak them out loud. Lie still and silent upon your beds where you can do no harm. You know, we respond much better to what's upsetting us and who's upsetting us when we think before we act or before we speak, right? Proverbs has all sorts of stuff to say about thinking and before you act, before you speak. James said something in, in his letter about that as well. And over time, this habit of, of saying, whoa. I'm really angry. I have a mind to do something. I have a mind to say something. I have a mind to post something. Hold on, God. What's your perspective? Let me start there before before I respond. And what, what I think David is saying is that in time, this habit, this faithful, this faith-based habit will lead to peace when you can't sleep. Will lead even to joy, he says. And will lead, get this, to better sleep. You'll actually get better sleep. And so David resolves his composition by saying, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When you're angry, when you're distressed or anxious, do nothing. Say nothing. Type nothing, post nothing until you're aware of God in the situation. Until you're aware of the needs of other people in the situation. Until you're aware of yourself and what you've already contributed to the situation. The Apostle Paul said the same thing David's saying. He just used different words in Philippians chapter 4. Let your, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now, and only now, are you ready to respond? Are you ready to open your mouth? Are you ready to act? 
Now, let me ask you a personal question, and I want to hear your response to it. When you lose sleep on a consistent basis, and so, so um, I'm, I'm married to a very pregnant woman this week, and, and I will say that I have lost sleep three nights this week. Um, I woke myself up early in the week. I, I don't think rationally in the middle of the night. I, I woke up in the middle of the night several days ago convinced that her water was about to break any minute in her sleep and we would not make it to, to the midwife practice in time. And, and I don't think I slept for two hours. And, and I had to go through this whole process myself. So let me ask you. When you lose sleep, when you are sleep-deprived consistently, what begins to happen to you or around you or to people around you? What do you think? Let's hear it. What begins to happen? Tensions flare. flare. Yeah. (laughs) I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lose your grip on reality. Absolutely. You, You really do. What else? You, you become short-fused, easily frustrated, irritated, mental errors, and, and even operate, operator error, right? That's, a, that's an issue, too, in the workforce. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Real clumsy, hurt yourself and break things. That's not good, but good. I mean, like, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. What else? Short-term memory loss. Yeah. A lot of confessions. Yeah, I, absolutely. We, we, we all experience uh, this. Sometimes we're, we're clumsy with our bodies. Uh, sometimes we're, we're clumsy with our minds and our emotions and our, our words. And, and we hurt one another. We hurt our kids. We we hurt our spouses. We, we, hurt, we hurt our coworkers and our neighbors. I think what often happens is we, uh, I, I think I was praying about this earlier, rather than reflect, and when I say reflect, I mean meditate. You know, God-centered, scripture-centered contemplation. Uh, rather than reflect, we, we just react. According to a study in 2007, that was put out by uh, University of California, Berkeley, and Harvard Medical. Uh, they said that after sleep deprivation, your brain's emotional centers are more than 60% more reactive. And according to David in Psalm 4, we respond sinfully when we fail to bring God in. When we fail to see the circumstance in light of what he sees, of what he's already told us, of what we've already experienced is true of of his truth and his love and his protection and his promises. We, We sinfully react instead of reflect when instead of being self aware, we're self conscious. And I think there's a difference. Self conscious is based in pride. Being self-conscious is based in fear. You're worried about what people are going to say about you. You're worried about what people are going to do to you. You're worried about how other people are going to act. And it's about you. It's about how you see yourself. It's about your perceived weaknesses and shortcomings. 
It's about what you feel you need to get from other people, what you need to see them do and what you need to hear them say to you. Self-consciousness is because you're afraid, because you're prideful, because you think you deserve what you may not get or what you may not hear. That's self-conscious. Now, self-aware is different. Self-aware is based in humility. Self-awareness is being mindful of your strengths and your weaknesses. Being mindful of your past. Being mindful of your own culpability in the situation and how you might need to make things right. Being mindful of what's going on and how you can respond to the needs and the concerns of others. I think we lose sleep and we lack peace, the peace that would really stabilize us in crisis, in anger, in adversity. We lose, we lose peace and we lose sleep uh, because we're self-conscious. Because we're not trusting. If, if you're self-conscious, you're not trusting God as you would if you were self-aware. The kind of self-awareness that we see in David here. And I think we lose we just, we lose sleep, uh, we lose relationships, we lose our reputation uh, because I, I, we're trying to win. You know, we, we, we want the last word or we want the loudest word and, and so that's what we're meditating on. Or we, we want the upper hand or we want to even the score. And so because we want to win, uh, we become self-conscious and we end up losing. Uh, we lose a lot. The Apostle Paul quoted Psalm 4. It's a very popular, very famous passage in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. You've probably heard Paul say this right out of Psalm 4. He just changes it a little bit. He said, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The Christians like to quote that verse a lot. And we kind of pull it out of its context. You want to hear the context? You want to hear why he's quoting Psalm 4? Listen to what else he says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul also said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the context. That's how Paul applied Psalm 4 to his friends. You know, it may be your right as an American to speak your mind when you want, however you want to post whatever you want to post on social media because you have a first amendment right to do it. That's a good thing. And people have suffered tremendously over the centuries to give you the freedom to say whatever you want, whenever you want to say it. But you know what? Reacting before reflecting grieves God. And it destroys unity. <sighs> you were created to be better than that. We were designed for more than that. 
We were designed for more than exercising our right to say whatever we want when we feel like saying it. We're better than simply speaking and telling it like it is. Or posting something that completely alienates an entire group of people because they think differently than you about a certain situation. Or a certain political candidate. Or a certain crisis in the news. Paul says, the wisdom of Psalm 4 prevents all of that. It prevents disunity in Christ's church. It encourages, it encourages the world with a picture of, of, of beautiful harmony and like-mindedness. He says in the passage before this that we are members of each other. That's the beauty of Psalm 4. Now, you may be saying, Brian, I cannot help myself. I just, I, I just, I just, I, I have to type. I just have to say something back when somebody tweets or, or posts that thing on Facebook that just drives me crazy. I have to say something. I just can't walk away from that conversation without the last word. It's, it's like this impulse in me. I just, I must speak. I must tell it like it is. I must put that person in their place. I can't help myself. You're right, friend. I, I can't, I often can't either. That is, that is the truth of the human condition that you cannot help yourself. That's why Jesus came. That's why when you are outwardly aware and inwardly aware, you also need to be gospel aware. A lot of people are aware of the needs around them. A lot of people are aware of themselves. A lot of people are aware of, of others. Maybe even of God to some degree. But if you're not aware of the gospel, you'll get it wrong. You may never get it right. And here's what it's all about. Here's the gospel. Jesus got angry. A lot. People made him angry. Things that took place in his society made him angry. But Jesus never sinned in his anger. Only him. You can read all about it. He never sinned in his anger. More than that, Jesus knew perfect peace. Uh, people would be looking for him, couldn't find him. He'd be out somewhere by himself, just praying. Just talking to his heavenly father and listening to his heavenly father. And those quiet moments, those moments of silence for Jesus... Uh, those meditative moments for him, those are the moments that brought him the counsel he needed to respond to the things and the people that made him angry. That's why he never sinned, because he was always meditating in the presence of his heavenly father. He had such a peace uh, that there's one account in the Gospels where he was found sleeping on a boat in a squall. Everybody was freaking out. Everybody thought they were going to die. Now, mind you, he was tired. He had a long day, but he was asleep in a storm. Can you imagine having such peace? Can you imagine being so stable? Because not only are you aware of yourself, but you're aware of God as well. You know, there was, there was one night, however, when Jesus could not sleep. Um, and he was frightened. It, it, he was preparing himself for his execution. He couldn't sleep. His disciples, they had no problem falling asleep. He could not fall asleep. He was so scared. He knew what was, gonna, he knew what was about to happen to him. Not just physically. Um, 
but taking upon himself the sins of the world, my sin, your sin, and being separated in that moment for the first time in, in, in all of his experience on earth and out of eternity, being separated from God the Father in that one night. And what he was preparing for in his execution was a swap, was a substitution. The Bible says he was going to substitute your unrighteousness. Every time you've responded and reacted in an unhelpful way, you and I deserve death for that. You and I deserve God's good justice for that. But Jesus was preparing to make a substitution, your unrighteousness for his righteousness. That's why he couldn't fall asleep. Because that, that change, that substitution, and what it meant for him, was overwhelming to him, and he couldn't fall asleep. His righteousness for your unrighteousness. And it really all starts there. Being gospel aware is knowing that Jesus offers you his righteousness. Because you can't cook up your own, not even close. You remember how David started his prayer? Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. There it is, right there. David started right there. David knew that he didn't bring his own righteousness into God's presence. He knew that if he was going to live and be blessed and survive in the universe, God was going to need to give him righteousness. And that's the gospel. Read the book of Romans. Where God grants his righteousness to sinners. As in faith, they trust in the perfection of his son, Jesus. David knew that God gives righteousness. And he believed that he had God's righteousness. So if Jesus is the giver of your righteousness, well, what does that mean? It, it means what David, what David knew, that there is no limit to God's protection over you. That there is no limit to God's love over you to such a degree that whatever happens, the worst things that may happen... No one can touch you. No one really can say or do anything to ultimately bring you down. Yeah, maybe you'll lose your job. Maybe people will think you're lame or square or unintelligent or unsophisticated or narrow-minded or weird. But David said, no, no problem. People think of that about me all the time. God is my righteousness. And he said in another psalm, what can man do to me? That's why he was able to sleep at night. Paul put it this way again in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, and David believed that, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Yeah, joy and peace and a good night's sleep also. Paul went on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And that, my friends, is the foundation of controlling your anger. You don't justify yourself. God's already justified you with the blood of his son and his son's resurrection from the dead. No one can touch you. doesn't matter what they say or what they do. But it does matter in response to God's righteousness given to you as a gift of faith. It does matter how you respond to what's going on in your life and in the world. 
so that the best sleep and the best peace is had by those who in reality trust Jesus when they're angry. The peace of God, the peace of God that you have through faith in his son, trusting his son as your righteousness. The kind of peace that that gives you is something that your enemies cannot take away from you. There was an old hymn by Frances Havergale, and this is what she's saying. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. So in your anger, be quiet. Reflect. Trust him. Trust God. And get some sleep. Let's pray.